This interview was recorded in 2023. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Sheila Marie, Vice President at SM Development Corporation. Her focus is sustainable transformation through analytics, privacy risk management, and policy formulation. For 11 years and counting, Sheila has overseen operational policies, customer database analytics, and criti critical SAP implementations affecting financial positions. From spearheading the launch of a company-wide budgeting system to managing operational budgets and ensuring data privacy compliance, her leadership has played a pivotal role in shaping the financial landscape of SM and its related companies. I've asked Sheila to join us here today to hear her story and lessons she's learned in strategy, management, data analytics, data protection, and process improvement while also juggling finances and operations. So Sheila, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Daria. Yeah, it's an honor and it's a pleasure. So now before we dive into all the nuts and bolts about things that you've learned, how did you even get started? Obviously, SM is, is a big corporation here in the Philippines. You guys are basically everywhere. How did you even get involved in business? Were your parents entrepreneurs? Actually, no, not really. My my parents were just a simple, I came from an average family. And yeah, we had a small business, but then it's just a kind of backyard business. So the goal before was graduate, get a degree, get yourself a job. So that's it. So after right after graduation, I took the board exam. And then after that, my corporate career started. So I went to job hunting. So that's it. And then from then on, I've been part of the corporate world. Wow. And yeah, you're, you went to Cal, right? And you had yes. a yes. Bachelor of Science for Applied Economics and Accounting. Yes. And it's so actually the first... a double degree course. Hmm. Yeah. So it's a double degree course. So you, it's a applied economics, and then also accounting. So that's a double major. And then, so after that, I ended up taking the uh, certified public accountant certification exam. And then I got myself a job afterwards in, in an IT company. So that's mm. where I started. Yeah. Is that AWS Advanced World yes, System? Yes, okay. yes. Right now they've changed the name. EVP. Yeah, yeah. So it's mm. actually an IT IT service, they call themselves APTI Philippines at that time. Mm. So I, let's not mention about the year. Okay, Let's not mention about the year, but then those were the years where, you know, IT services are just on the rise. So it's the BPO is not yet a buzzword. So it's more of outsourcing. Mm. So I think that company is one of the first outsourcing company from Japan. Actually, it's a Japanese company. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a part of, before, it used to be part of IBM Japan. So it was a great start for me at that time. So I started working, I applied as an accountant, accounting, handling accounting stuff. But then since it was a startup company, I was also tasked to do or handle all other things aside mm. from IT, because okay. I'm, not yet, I'm not an IT guy. So... All other stuffs, other non-IT tasks were given to me. So it was a, it was both, yeah, it was hard, but then it was a good experience because I had to learn not just accounting. It was not limited to just accounting. I had yeah. um, exposure on all, yeah, all facets of non, 
non-IT stuffs at that time. Yeah, I was going to say, coming, graduating, and now working in the real corporate world, what do you, what were the most prominent differences or, like you said, the immediate things that you had to learn? For starters, I had to learn at that time, don't laugh, but I had to learn how to use a coffee maker. Okay. <laughs> coffee maker, it's not, it's not really a usual kitchen equipment at that time. Because I myself at that time was not even a coffee drinker. Right. I'm not. Yeah. So I didn't really grow up drinking a lot of coffee. So I'm more a milk person. But then you see here, I have my coffee. That's right. Now I have I have to have my daily dose of caffeine. Mm. So anyway, yeah. From admin stuffs meaning as simple as purchasing, purchasing supplies, talking to different vendors, hiring people, HR stuffs. And then doing the payroll, timekeeping, those things, and attending to employee-related concerns. I didn't learn this in school. So it, it was a, a good good exposure at that time. Good right. learning. Okay. And then you went on and I, you worked at ShipServe. Yeah. It was, yeah. yeah. I stayed with the IT company for 12 years, I think. So it, it's quite long. After that, yeah, I took a short break motherhood. And then after that, I went back to corporate world again. Mm. And then so I got involved with the ship serve. This is a, it was a short stint though. Right. But then it's, that's the start of the, my BPO exposure. Because mm. at that time, the company is also building their presence in the BPO industry. There were processes that we have to set up. So it was a good exposure. And that was my first time experiencing working with different time zones because that company services mostly Europeans and mm. um, Middle East, customers from the Middle East. So the time zone is different. So and I had how, to. Was it hard? Because you graduate, you work 12 years, and then you become a mom and you take a break mm-hmm. and then you have to re enter. Did you, was, did you, I guess I would say, were there, what were some of the challenges or hurdles or were there, maybe there weren't any, but being a, now a working mom, did you have the typical double work shift that they say that moms, you work a day shift and you go home and you work another shift at the house. And on top of that, trying to keep up with whatever's changing corporate, was that, what was that scenario like? For me, I was really very fortunate at the time that my mom was there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all thanks to her. I didn't have that difficulty. It was like, I gave birth and then took my maternity leave, just a couple of months. And then afterwards, okay, hey, mom, please take care of my baby. And then I went back. <laughs> I'm very fortunate to have my mom there at the time. So she practically took over all the mommy mm. stuff that I needed to do at that time. So I was, yeah, it, it was easy for me to, it's not that easy, but of course you had to breastfeeding and all that stuff. So that's right, uh, me. Right, right. Then, um, most of it, waking up at night, in the middle of the night, attending to the baby and stuff. I was spared of that scenario. So mm-hmm. very minimal. Yeah. yeah. And in love so, to all the moms out there for yes, the yes, jobs that yes. you have and the work you do. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. So that was really, really, yeah. So it wasn't really that big change when I went back. Okay. Got it. Okay. You progressed along. How did you end up with SM where you are now? After the... After a while, before before joining SM, I was with the bank. After that, then the opportunity came. So probably that's it. And then I 
I joined the SM and then been here ever since. So yeah, initially I joined through uh, under the SM Investments wing, and then I got assigned to here SMDC, the real estate. Now, is that because you had some sort of experience or skills that you developed while working at the bank, or were you qualified even before you worked at the bank? Like I'm trying to get at is what what were what was the difference? What were the skills that made you a prime candidate for SM? Maybe the at that time. They were looking for a finance person. Before, before that, in, in, the, uh, in the bank that I used to work with, I was part of the financial, financial reporting shared services. Mm. So doing man- management, reporting, budgeting. And then so at that time, shared service was becoming a, a big thing. Mm. And then I think that's, uh, that's it. And then from there, there was a need for a finance person in SM, particularly to handle financial consolidation-related stuff. So that's where it started. Got it. How, having seen inside, maybe I should ask this about SM. In terms of how does your role in finance and operations, and obviously there's a ton of data, and data integrity is super important. Protecting data is very important. How does that feed into the other roles and is helping companies grow? How does that feed back into marketing and sales in your perspective? What are critical pieces of that? When I got transferred to SM Development Corporation, this the company is a developer of residential residential units, uh, condominium units, both high-rise and mid-rise, as well as horizontal development house and lots. Basically, there's a transformation from there from the usual financial reports and analysis that I was doing, I when I joined the SMDC, I got into operation, operations myself. And then the role happens to be dealing with a lot of operation-related stuff, specifically dealing with sales. Mm-hmm. So sales in terms of, because one of the roles that our team handle is managing inventory. So the inventory, the units that we sell, we get a lot of interaction with sales as well as other departments, the project development, accounting, customer service, you name it, it's there. Right. So those interactions is actually very key in the selling right. or in the operations of the whole company. So that it's, I think that's how it started. That's how it's interconnected. And then from there, there are, of course, from that operations, there were data to be mm. gathered. And some of the things that we do, of course, we, we provide data from, from the system that we handle. And then from there, the data is, it depends on the requester of the data, how they will use the data. Mostly it's used for analytics or sometimes, of course, basis for decision making. Yeah. So that's it. So what are some of the important KPIs or do you prefer OKRs? Which for those that don't know, KPI is key performance indicators, OKR is mm-hmm. objectives and key results. What are some of the more important metrics? I mean, there's there's 101 things you can track. Someone who might be starting out and struggling, would you what would you recommend as the critical few? For let's call it KPI. So mm-hmm. for KPI or KRAs, right? So basically it depends on the objective of that person or that company or that department. So if, for example, if the objective is how to increase sales, 
then then we have to look at the data in terms of getting getting information on what project sells or what project does not sell and if they sell who are the buyers what type of buyers are buying this project so something like that so it depends if the user of the data is example customer service so probably the goal is basically to improve the customer experience mm-hmm. so how do we address issues faster how do we respond to query accurately and effectively so those things and then if the user of the data is from hr so the data would basically be measuring employee probably employee retention employee attrition rates so those things mm. so it really depends on the user of the data so those are great examples so for someone that's just starting out it sounds like from a high level you want to be paying attention to what sells buying it and then obviously you want to be tracking retention and attrition like just as a real basic it's almost like leads and sales data daily weekly monthly as well as who's buying now is that something that you constantly monitor is that something that you just check on every quarter or every half year or year or it's actually a constant thing nowadays i not just here but also i think in every company nowadays yep. especially after the pandemic mm. data is as they say data is the new gold yeah before mm. one who holds the gold rules now one who has the data rules right so yeah. it's more of how you really use the data that you have so it would really make a difference on how you strategize how you prepare for the next steps how you plan out something mm-hmm. so it's all about the data how you even how you, the data is something as it can be as simple as how many how many units are being sold in, every day or how many attrition do we have every month or even how many supplies do i purchase mm. no those things it tracks everything from sales to cost expenses right. to serving the customers to planning the next big thing so it's mm. all about the data so can you speak to that a little bit like how does cuz data integrity is everything if you have bad data then all of your estimates how do you, is it all something internal i'm asking vague questions here but again for the audience that are listening what are the key Are there key principles to keep in mind when it comes to managing data and warehousing it? For for generally, of course, data is always, it would always entail risk if you manage data. Mm -hmm. So data protection is definitely something that should be considered at the topmost of how you manage data. So data, if you protect the data, of course, there's the law, which is called the Data Privacy Act. Is being implemented not just it's a global global law nowadays especially when the pandemic hit right so everyone is getting data about health related data so those things and there's a lot of organizations global organizations that are upfront with protecting the data and how we use it properly identity theft and all those breaches and other data so how, losses how do you how do you protect your data how does a business well, owner protect their data? Sim- as simple as the ba- very basic is, of course, just put a password. Yeah, the, uh, very simple. Put a right. password. 
And then just don't forget what is the password and where you kept the password. That's just a basic. For any simple person, you can just do it. Like if it's an Excel file, you just put the password. That's the basic. And then if you move on, if, if you're a bigger business, so you have a storage. Storage should be very well protected from as simple as who has access to that storage, right? So access management is very important. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, when we talk about storage, we talk about preservation of the data, meaning backups. Always have backups. So that's that's something that you can't really dismiss. It it can happen even to big, giant tech companies. Mm -hmm. Data loss is real. So Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. another thing. Next is when I mentioned access, of course, it, it means who are authorized to access or use that data. So it's another thing. And then afterwards, of course, it's common, right? So you have to have normal data security, meaning data security practices. For a company, of course, there's always a regular checks of the servers or where you keep your data and even access those things, firewalls that needs to be put in place. So it's always it's always a regular thing for companies with big data. And then, yeah. I think those are the basic ones. And mm. then, of course, right now, because of the Data Privacy Act, it's not just about getting passing around one sheet of paper, asking them to fill out. Can you put your name and address and phone <laughs> number in and I'll give you a free umbrella or something, right? So it's not just about that. Companies can be sued for just getting data without getting the consent of the mm. person. So that's another thing that protect to protect the data. So mm. even simple individuals like ourselves are already protected because of mm. the data privacy act. They just cannot get the data. Can they a company can be sued if the data was gathered or received without the consent. So I, I have a question it. about that and you may or may not know the answer. It's okay. Mm-hmm. If you third party some of this stuff, does that provide a layer of protection? Meaning that if you third party the warehousing of your data or the who's collecting it for you, is that almost a way to shield your company from some sort of liability in that essence, in that sense? No, no. Actually, you're putting for me, from my personal view, is that you put the company, actually the company is more at risk yeah. if there's a third party nowadays. Because the third party, at the end of the day, so let's just keep it at the for the sake of discussion, data privacy, under the data privacy law, even the third party, any anything that you outsource to a third party is still eventually falls under the company. So right. example, we company A outsourced this service to company B. At the end of the day, company A is responsible for the service or for the data management of company B. So it's actually more of, right now, it's more of a challenge if we outsource uh, Mm. something because you have to ensure that third party is willing to protect your data. It has to be clear that, okay, we have this agreement that you're not supposed to do this. You're supposed to do this, something like that. Anything, any breaches, any whatever Mm -hmm. to be reported Mm -hmm. to me, those things, any liability on the, uh, if something happens, uh, it's not just, you shared the liability. So mm-hmm. that's something. Shared liability. Then, of course, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. So that, yeah. that's how it is. Mm-hmm. Got it. 
And for those that don't know, especially in today's day and age of AI, we have to be very careful. You mentioned passwords, but even your passwords, you have to be really careful. I remember if you have a password that's numbers only, even if your password is 14 characters long, it'll only take 30 minutes for AI to crack it. If your password is 11 characters wrong and it's only numbers, it'll be cracked instantly. If it's lowercase only, it'll take 23 hours for them to crack your password if it's 11 characters. If it's upper and lowercase characters, you're safe with upper and lowercase letters and numbers at 11 characters, because that'll take about four years. And that could change at the time you hear this recording, that may change. But right now, it'll be four years if you have 11 characters, if it's upper and lowercase, only four weeks if you have 10 and only 11 hours if you have nine characters. So the best case for passwords is numbers, upper and lowercase numbers, letters, uh, numbers, letters, both uppercase, lowercase, and of course, symbols to just yeah, to really take that yeah. seriously, to take that mm. seriously and to really aim for 11 characters or more, because mm. if you have less than that, and I know just speaking from my own personal experience, which is just something very separate, a membership area, we had to impose that mandate it essentially for all of our members. And we lost members because they didn't, they didn't update their passwords because we had our website hacked and someone like hacked a user on our site and was using their user profile to send email from our server. And it's just, and there's just these bots everywhere. And it's definitely like a new age, a new world. Do you, can you speak to that a little bit? Are there, I don't know if I'm asking anything that's, is there, are you guys using AI as like a, like military grade defense of your data in any way? Like I, I just came up with that question off the top of my head. So I don't even know if that's a thing, <laughs> but I know that AI is trying to hack my site. Is there like a new, can you fight fire with fire? Is that happening right now? I think should be. Yeah, it's a big possibility. Well, I'm not an IT person, but then your question is very valid in the sense that, yeah, AI is all over. So it's a possibility. But then the, what you mentioned of being hacked, yes, that is happening as any, yeah. you know, I'm not sure with the, even with the, a simple as a call, a simple harmless call that you answered and then before you know it your bank account was hacked or they got your atm pinned or something right by talking to you something yeah. like that yeah it, it's it's really scary it's yeah. really yeah it's a good time to have cash in your mattress or in a safe house <laughs> <laughs> yes, right? yes yeah yes. yeah i think that's a valid statement because and that that kind of leads into something else i want to talk to you about we're talking about i know you're one of your folks is a sustainable transformation and I want to know what that means, because I think that some of it is probably climate related and resource related, but I think it's also probably related to even what we're talking about now. If in today's day and age, if you did business by fax machine, that would be a tough. So part of mm -hmm. transformation being sustainable is keeping up with the trends. So can you speak to a little bit of like, what does that mean in today's day and age, whether it's for SM or you think just for the economy in general, what does it mean, sustainable transformation? What are the things to focus on? When we talk about sustainability, we will always go back to this 17 goals, 17 SDGs by United Nations, right? By the UN. So basically, it's, it's, it's from poverty to addressing hunger, health, education, gender equality, the one that you mentioned, climate change and waste management and equalities, so something like that. So it's all about those goals. So those are the sustainability development goals. 
But then, given all that goes, as a, as simple as an ordinary person can do his or her share, we, we as a person, as simple as managing our own garbage, right? So recycling, right? So mm-hmm. sustainability starts can start with anyone, manage from managing your garbage, recycling your garbage, to be conscious of what the things that you use, what food that you eat, and then how you when you go out how you when you walk out uh, of your house and you just ride the car and pass by the road the garbage that you throw or if you go to a park those things how you help preserve that park so those things those spell trans- transformation sustainable transformation right. so that's it's not just about uh, big of course companies m they're really at the forefront of sustainability they're actually champions of climate climate actions and sustainable building sustainable cities and communities yeah, they're they're prepared. Very, when i lived yeah. on certain interrupt but when i was on palawan sm mall mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. a safe haven because i've been working remote since 2012 and okay palawan mm-hmm. gets a lot of brownouts but sm mall oh. had their own generators so we anytime there was a brownout we go ahead to the mall yeah. to fit up a coffee shop because we knew we would mm-hmm. be able to work so Yes. Uh, just yeah. Mm-hmm. It wasn't solar panels, it was diesel generators, but hey, power. Yeah. Power for yes. an economy. So I'm grateful. Now yes, yes. Does, does that create challenges for your sales and marketing teams in terms of balancing the sustainability goals and driving growth? And then even on the retention side, are there challenges that are that this presents? Are you of course, there's always a challenge for maintaining sustainable developments because especially if nowadays, thrust of most companies are to be able to have sustainable operations as a whole, sustainable business in terms of, I think, for us or for any businesses. So it's always going to be a challenge because my personally, the way I see it, if I want to buy, I'm a simple individual. If I want to buy, I want to be engaged in this sustainable thing. I want to buy organic stuffs, right? But then if I go to a store, organic store, wow, you get scared because the price is prices, so expensive, yeah. right? It's and organic crazy. doesn't necessarily mean it's non-GMO. I'm a partner in a yes. health company. And that's a big thing. Just because it was grown organically doesn't mean that it's not mm, GMO. Yes. Yeah. So it's how can I really be a how can I practice being a sustainably uh, uh, conscious yeah individual? As much as I want to buy organic vegetables and all, it's just uh, the prices are just too much sometimes. And most of the population or the people, they would rather do I engage myself in buying buy organic stuffs or I just buy the usual vegetables, right? Which cost a lot. So those things are that some that, that is something that probably people in the uh, position needs to be to consider. So even if you buy projects with sustainable sustainable certification, those are there are global certifications like LED certi- certified projects. Those projects are there's a price to that. So if you wanna buy those sort lead certified units or projects it's going to cost there's a premium to that but then of course getting the preparations to be able to acquire that certification also costs a lot mm. you also can't blame the businesses to increase their price right. they had to there's a big investment just to be certified it's a cycle 
same thing mm. as the growers of organic vegetables or organic chickens and those animal for beef and whatever. So there's a cost to that. So it's a cycle that I think has to be thought of by people espousing these sustainability goals. So right. those are things, even as simple as getting a sustainable certification for an individual a training for sustainability cost wow it's not cheap mm. so i want to be able to add certifications so that i can share this knowledge but then looking at available trainings cost is quite steep at the moment right. it's either because this concept is still not accepted so there's still very few institutions are offering that or organizations maybe right. that's why the cost is still expensive right so maybe that's it so sounds like you really got to keep your focus on what the people want, the market, because there's been companies and I don't want to name any specific ones, but there's been ones, I, I, there's a saying, the pioneers get the arrows and the settlers get the land. And I don't necessarily think that's always the case, but there's in, in at least America, there's been some companies that have been very, they've been very evangelical about certain topics. And there's been huge backlash from people because they just don't want it shoved in their face. Like they, they, it doesn't need to be advertised when it, and they almost, they almost dislike a company using that, that almost like a Trojan horse to put their marketing in like wrapping and my research, I think we mentioned before, I spent a significant amount of money and had about 10, 12 people help me go through all the academic literature. And we did discover that corporate social responsibility does improve longevity and su- likelihood of success for a business, but it has to be like phrased in or it has to be framed, I think is the better word, in the angle of serving the community. Of course, legal compliance, that's a really, that's really important to comply with legal processes. But as long as it's ethical and you're really focused on helping develop the community, that's always turned into a net positive. So it sounds like there's a bit of a dance happening right now where there's policies that from you know, potentially unelected bodies that are trying to impose on businesses of the world and it sounds like as a business, you're almost caught in the middle where you have these mandates being pushed on you, but at the same time, you really have to cater to the people that you're serving and you have to follow your data in terms of marketing and sales and retention, right? Like we will comply as best as we can because obviously we want to be good stewards of the planet and take care of people and be forward thinking. At the same time, some of these things come from unelected bodies and what are the people that are paying our bills, that are paying us? What are they saying? Is that true? Is that like a dance? Is that a fair statement? Yeah, yeah. Agree. Yeah. Agree. So mm-hmm. what do you feel then would be some of the essential skills and habits necessary to perform optimally with marketing and sales? Marketing and sales. Okay. For one, you have to have passion of what are you selling. Just, right. It's a basic thing. You have to believe in the product that you're selling. That, that's, I think, the basic. Because if, if you believe in the product that you sell, everything comes naturally. But that, that's something that is, I think, very, uh, it should be innate to any seller or any marketer. Right. So to be able to come up with a good good marketing, what do you call that? I'm not a marketing person, sorry. Uh, yeah, a good marketing right. spiel or something. So it's you have to have this, you have to understand the product, you have to believe in the product, something like that. And then next is, of course, knowledge. Both marketers, marketing people and sellers have to be well-equipped with the knowledge of the product that they sell. You have to be able to highlight the qualities, the good qualities 
of the product. It's why are we, why will I buy your product? We have to be able to highlight those so mm-hmm. that the prospective buyer will be able to understand and hopefully buy the product that you're selling, right? So if you're able to market that product properly, so you the buyer get to understand Oh, okay. That is something that uh, I want. Okay. That's something that oh, I can buy that. So something mm-hmm. like, it's not about, because marketing and selling is, it's not, especially in, in our line of business, it's not something that something, condominiums are not something that is something that you cannot live without. Right. At the end of the day, it's a, we're not saying that it's a luxury item, but then something that I can put off for now, or is that something of a primary purpose that I really need to buy? If I'm offered between a something, a house and lot or a condominium, why would I buy a condominium from you? Or the th- it, let's not talk about that. It's like, why would I buy a condominium from your company? And then there's another company selling the same right. What makes you different? So those and things. Sorry for interrupting, but I'm curious because for you, as part of what SM is doing, there's a development part of this too. Like you, you almost have to try to see the world through a periscope because you, when you, there's a supply and demand element to it as well. So you've got inventory that there may or may not be churn in due to influences or conflicts or whatever changes and whatever. I know a friend of mine; they're helping develop something like 15 hectares and they're moving the city hall to the, be the center of this. And that's going to be a huge draw for the neighborhoods around it. So it's almost like they're creating a market for the real estate that they're developing by gifting land to the city to move the city. And I guess what I'm trying to ask is how do you do that? How do you, cause when you, I don't know what the turnaround time is. I know they built a land, I think it's a landmark nearby and it was up like in six months, eight months. But for you guys, when you it's probably like a one to three, five year view when you go to develop something. And how do you anticipate the demand that far down the road? Do the reasons why people buy, how fast do those change? I know in Canada right now, I have family in Toronto and they're never likely going to be able to afford the housing in Toronto because the market has grown so much. Now that's a great opportunity if you can develop land because now you can add, but I just, can you speak to that a little bit? Just seeing where the trends are going and anticipating it when you have to have projections years in advance, essentially, like you have to mobilize funds today for something that's going to happen in five years. And you have to have sales and marketing lined up with that. And if there's big projects on the line, big investments, can you speak to that a little bit? Maybe just uh, from my own personal experience point of view. Of course. Yeah. It's basically where strategic planning comes in. Right. For any businesses, being able to have a foresight is something that will is really a helpful for a business to grow, for any business to grow. Foresight of the owners. So I think I think from where I am right now, the company that I'm connected with right now, they have they have good they have good foresight. They have they are well informed about what's happening around and even within the region and within the globally. So that's a big factor. Yeah. And then another thing is, of course, that's the data. They have data to help them do informed decisions, of course. And then also they have goals in mind already mm-hmm. set. As I mentioned, SM is really, really big on climate actions, as well as building sustainable communities. So even before the outbreak of the pandemic, they're really into this. When mm. we when they developed, I think, no? when they developed the Mall of Asia, 
here in Manila. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah I know Moa. Moa? Moa. Yes, yes. Yeah, it was planned in such a way that um, the whatever weather conditions or tidal waves or tsunamis, it was built with a very good, uh, I'm not sure, I'm not an engineering person. There's a good thing that yeah. protects, even though right. the MOA is located Manila Bay is there beside, but it's really safe. So they have that foresight and then buildings are built around within the MOA complex uh, sustainably. And so even before the pandemic hit, the foresight is there, the planning was there. Then the solar, the use of solar panels, solar energy, renewable energy is there. So it, they're everywhere. And then of course, addressing the, like what you mentioned, when there's a brownout or a flood, yeah. the malls are always open for vehicles to park overnight. It's yeah. free. I think, they, as yeah. I've heard it, they offer it free just to help out. Yeah. Plain yeah. being responsible. That's really CSR in the in action. Without yeah. it. It's, it comes naturally for SM Group. Yeah. And so it, I love it. Yeah, I so it. they provide that. And then not just for, not for any... For anything, there, there's a lot of, there's a big foundation that SM manages, the SM Foundation, which helps yeah. out a lot of yeah. build hospitals, schools. And if there's a typhoon or something happens in the province, they're always there helping mm. out. Just just plain helping out. Yeah. Nothing, not, no no interest at all. Just plain yeah. helping out. That's, so that's, that's um, our philosophy. On what a, our yes. philosophy on the show is that a business is, all a company is a group of people that solve a problem for another group of people and they do it via a product or service. That problems yes. are markets, not demographics. There, a problem yes. will exist and different stereotypes of people will experience that problem. And through mm-hmm. that, you can just, if there's a game, there's a baseball game. Some people want to stream it at home. Some people want to have a beer with friends at a restaurant and watch the game. Some people want to be there in the nosebleed section or be there with their feet on the grass or in the big box seat, but it's the same game. And it's the same thing when there's problems, job hunting, there's high powered Mm -hmm. CEOs that are job hunting and then there's homeless Mm -hmm. people that need jobs. So it's the same problem, but different experiences. What you've said really fits into the research that we did very well, where if you talked about strategic planning and market intelligence. So for us in our research, the market intelligence is knowing what problem to solve why it's a problem, who wants it solved and why, the cost that they may experience for not fixing it and knowing who else solves that problem, the top, at least the top 10 competitors. And of course, knowing their sales data, their locations, their target markets. Ayala malls might have a different target. And we're talking about the malls and I know SM does a lot more than malls, but it's just an easy example. Most people might be more aware of, but Ayala malls versus SM malls, there may be a slight different in terms of what target market it serves the offers and price points for either the commercial space or for the, what kind of stores are in there. And then there's industry benchmarks and then keeping track of emerging technology and trends. And this stuff all feeds into the strategic plan. The strategic plan is built off of the competitor analysis, the product analysis, the market analysis, the customer knowledge. And then through, like I said, our research shared decision-making, which includes scenario building for alternatives, which you talked about. Like when they built MOA, they were like right there, that's a good spot. You know, my friend Jerry has a lot there and we can put the parking lot on. It wasn't like that. There was actual strategic decisions made behind it, right? Where they, and then there's the flexible strategy as things unfold, you have to have plans. And then you have your outcome-based objectives and monitoring. 
whether it's KPIs, OKRs, KRAs. And then of course there's project management. And that all leads into where we started this conversation, which was business intelligence, which is yeah. collecting that data, protecting that data, sorting that data, presenting that data. Because first it has to have good integrity because if it has no integrity, then you can't use it. And if it has good mm -hmm. integrity, then you need to be able to see it from multiple angles, be able to make, to gain insights. And then from that, you need to actually make it actionable because if you just yeah. have the insights, but there's no action, then it's useless. So it's not even data is the new goal, but it's actually making the right decisions and taking action on them from the data is the real goal. So, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Sheila, this has been fantastic. I have a page of notes. I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're coming up on the hour. Is there anything mm -hmm. I haven't asked you that I should have asked you about? I think none for us, us questions, none, none. And if anybody has questions for you, they may want to follow up on something you said, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? LinkedIn. Is LinkedIn. Fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for those that are listening, if you want to check her out, it's Sheila Marie C Ma, S-H-I-E-L-A Marie, M-A-R-I-E C space Ma, M-A. Go check her out on LinkedIn. You'll know you have the right one. If the experience and jobs list VP of SM Development Corporation. Sheila, thank you once again so much for coming and joining and sharing with us. I know that your company, I think you've got something like 2,000, 3,000 employees that you try to manage on a daily basis. And I know that obviously, you know, you had a call during our interview. I just really appreciate you yeah. making space to share with me and my listeners so we can all learn from your experience and grow. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.